0: At a time when fast fashion is as commonplace as the term sustainable, it's refreshing to find an entrepreneur who is not only serious, but honest about their commitment to sustainability. It's no easy feat, to be sure. Producing fashionable items that are premium quality, but also meet rigorous social and environmental standards, requires a lot of time, effort and cost. Add the pandemic to the equation and the challenges are immense. Despite it all, Christy Stumer is meeting her mission head on. And we speak with her next. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum publisher, and editor-in-chief of Sea change magazine. On today's episode, we speak with Christy Sumer, founder and CEO of Slow Fashion Brand Encircled. In our conversation, Christy shares how her former position as a management consultant inspired a rethink of the fashion industry and its questionable ethics and encouraged her to do better. We chat about how she rejected disposable in favor of slow fashion, and embrace transparency over opacity, a common approach in the fashion industry. Finally, we discuss how Christie's ethical commitment has highlighted a frustrating trend, the overuse and misuse of the term sustainability. One of the many challenges this entrepreneur is tackling on a road to impact.
1: So Encircled was originally started As a bit of a creative project previously in my career, I don't have a fashion background. I was actually a management consultant. I have a finance degree and an MBA, Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't come from that traditional fashion background, but I definitely have always had a creative interest. My mom is super creative. She's really talented seamstress and artist and taught art for a number of years in high school. And I always wanted to be more creative, but it just wasn't something, honestly, that came very naturally to me. I'm just not very talented in that sphere. <laughs> and much like, you know, children of the eighties were taught that, um, you know, if you don't have a talent in something, you should probably go do something, do something else. else. Yes. Um, so you were not really taught to like hone those things, you know, just focus right. on what you're good at. And I just naturally was always really good at economics and business. So I was like, no, that's, that's the route I'm going to go. But I always had an interest in creativity and would always do kind of my own little like side projects and stuff like that and Mm. you know the further I got into my career um the more I started to travel you know for work and I started to realize that you know the idea of living out of a suitcase is seems really glamorous and fun but it's actually really challenging and it's a crazy lifestyle to fly every week to a client site And I started to feel really challenged by that, not only from just like a personal perspective, but I was trying to spend as little amount of time at the airport and pack as efficiently as possible. So I literally came up with our first product idea while packing for actually a trip for pleasure, a yoga retreat. Mm -hmm. And that product became, you know, our pillar product and we still have it today. And it's basically an eight in one, um, cardigan, scarf, tunic dress thing that I invented just out of my desire to have a piece that could be like stylish, comfortable, um sustainably made and really versatile. Wow. I like the way you call it a
2: thing that was one of you can tell I don't do fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, and so that's that's amazing. And so and what year was this that it, it- that was in late 2012. Okay. Okay. Started. So yeah. Um, and and obviously one of the things as you know as a digital publication that we we focus a lot on um social entrepreneurship, social impact, those kind of things. So so Uh, Aside from the fact that you impressed me just by how you, how it began and, and, and what you've started with um, the, the focus for you on putting the planet and people first as a priority for you in terms of the choices you make in your, the fabrics you use in your factory, how have you done that? How have you been able to achieve those objectives and why were those important to you?
1: Yeah. So from the beginning in has been really rooted in locally made. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was never actually even consideration for me to take it overseas. So I knew that if I worked with somebody here, I could trust and I could really get to know them because I can meet them face to face and mm-hmm. go visit their factories. I also could see the working conditions and be assured that, you know, uh, workers are treated really well and form those long-term relationships with them. Um, You know, so the ethics were really important to me from the beginning, just from being in the industry, you know, I was consulting, I was doing primarily consulting in the retail industry and from seeing, you know, some of the stuff that has happened in that industry from, you know, I'll never forget uh, when the Rana Plaza factory collapse happened in, I think it was 2013, And I was consulting at that time. And I remember I was on a ferry to the airport in Toronto because we have a downtown airport. We have to take a ferry. Mm -hmm. And there was two people having a conversation they clearly worked for one of the brands that was involved in the collapse. Um, And they were kind of talking about it in a way where there was like no empathy. And it just struck me that like, you know, how easy it is for us to get so far away from the human element of business. And that I never wanted to be like that. Like, right. yeah. And then I started out to, to really do some self-evaluations and look at, you know, the businesses I was supporting through my consulting work and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, is that in alignment with who I want to be in the world and the values that I personally have? And the answer was no. So, um, you know, I had to really check myself and say, what, what would feel good? And for me, what would feel good would be to create a business that had values that aligned really closely with my personal values. Um, And I've always been very passionate about the environment since I was a kid, Um, was probably one of the early vegetarians back in (laughs) the day. So, um, you know, that kind of stuff is, is, is meaningful to me. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to build a business essentially that felt good from the inside out. And that looks different for everybody, but for me, it was around local production, the ethics Mm -hmm. and, and using sustainable fabrics, but not just to use them, but using sustainable fabrics that actually our customers um, that lived up to the performance because mm. I found at the time when I started and very different than now, sustainability had this stigma around um, it not being comfortable. Like a lot of sustainability was rooted in like hemp and linen, like it's scratchy, yeah. it's itchy, it's whatever you're compromising. Like I wanted to use some of these, you know, cellulostic fabrics that have really nice properties where people would be like, wow, this is an upgrade actually from cotton, hundred percent conventional cotton. Like I feel really great in this. So
2: that's kind of how I got down that route um, at the beginning. And you became a B Corp as well. Is that, Mm -hmm. is that, when did that happen and how did that come about? I'm assuming it's sort of aligned with those values as well, but tell us, tell us a bit of that journey.
1: Yeah. So Encircle became a certified B Corp in 20. 18, hmm. I think. Um, we just recertified, so it must have been yeah. So we just recertified this year. Um, and then thankfully we don't have to do that for another five yeah, years I know. because it is it is a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a very for those of uh, you listening that don't know, it's a third-party audited certification, um, not just on your values in terms of environmental um sustainability and, and ethics, but everything from your governance and how you pay your employees. Um, to your supply chain outside of you know, manufacturing, um, to the number of independent organizations you support. Um, it's really in-depth and it looks at everything from customers to how you market, make, um, produce, sell, distribute, and even warehouse your products. So, So it is quite a challenge to get there. But for me, it was important because I started to see in and around 2016, 2017, we did a bit of a rebrand, I think it was 2016, where we you know, reevaluate that travel positioning. And we really decided to flip and talk more about that idea of capsule wardrobes and building that minimalist lifestyle. And I was starting to see brands come out and talk about the same thing, but their ethics were so scrupulous. And I was like, okay, how can they just say they're ethical? Um, and the reason they can is because there's no measurement or really a moniker of what that is in fashion. You, anybody can say they're ethical with no reason. So I saw B Corp as a way to say, you know, yes, you are ethical and these people have verified it. And now you are in the company of like, you know, um, Ben and Jerry's ice cream and Warby Parker and Eileen Fisher and all these brands who are also known to be very ethical. So it was really a measure of credibility from a primary standpoint, but then also, it exposed us to a lot of best practices in a lot of areas of our business that we've been able to integrate. So when we recertified, our score actually went up pretty significantly versus Mm. the first time, um, because we've been able to improve our our ethics even from where where we started.
2: Oh, wow, that's great. Um, And you touched upon something I wanted to bring up um, in terms of plenty of uh, businesses can claim to be ethical and there's a lot of greenwashing and that is something that we write about a lot and we talk about a lot. I, I guess is, you know, becoming a certified B Corp, one of the things that you do, I suppose, to um, ensure that you don't fall into that, uh, you know, trap of, 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 of appearing to be something that you're not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things you can do. Um, it doesn't mean you are 100% perfect. No. I mean, no. I think that's, it's, this is the challenge with sustainability. Anytime I see a brand who's like, we are, right carbon neutral and I'm like okay tell me more um, I think there's a lot of skepticism around yeah. greenwashing out there um, and it's so it's such a it's a difficult standard honestly to live up to because yeah. once you say you're sustainable um depending on who's hearing that message um they'll hold you to a different standard that sometimes is really difficult you know yeah. from a fashion standpoint as I'm sure you're aware fashion supply chains are notoriously opaque um, people don't know where they get a lot of things from, like their fabrics and the factories, you know, and I think H and M a few years ago made a big change where they published all their factories, which everybody was like, wow, that's really amazing. Um, but that doesn't really mean there's, they're ethical. They're just sharing right. where they, where they are. Um, yes. and most consumers won't go research and see if they pay living wages or anything like that. And we know they don't. Right. Um, so So for us, it's really about um, how can we encourage that progress over perfection, Um, because a lot of our customers and our core customers come to us and we're kind of the first sustainable or ethical brand they've ever purchased with. We tend to attract that kind of customer who shopped maybe with like Banana Republic or, you know, Club Monaco or something like that, and really wants to make a change in their wardrobe. Uh, versus, you know, a hardcore zero waster who wants to know where the seed was grown, that was planted for the tree that turned into the tensile. Right. You know, um, that is very challenging to manage, just because the supply chains are global and almost impossible to trace stuff. Um, so we do our best. Um, could we do better? For sure. Um, but we always walk that fine line. We're always very conservative with the claims we make, because there are a lot of people out there making really strong greenwashing claims. But I do apply consumers because they're becoming smart to it. You know, when yeah. they see, um, fast fashion brands doing conscious collections, it's like a little bit of a head scratcher as to how that's even working. Um, so, it, so it's one of those areas where it's like, I'd love that sustainability would be a differentiator, but I actually
2: hope that it becomes table stakes for everybody Mm -hmm. going forward. That's interesting. That's a very good point. And And I do think that customers, consumers are becoming a lot smarter, but at the same time, you know um they're also becoming more cynical because uh mm-hmm. you just see the word sustainability is, is written everywhere right mm-hmm. everyone is doing the same mm-hmm. so it's it's a tough it's tough and, it, and that balance that you're talking about um it's a fine line that you have to walk between. and and you can't be perfect and you're not trying mm-hmm. to be you know you can't you have stuff to, to run your business right um mm-hmm it's tough, but I, but look, you're, you're taking many steps and many that, that others have not. And I think in that way, um, definitely distinguishing yourself um, uh, in that regard. And you mentioned the fabric, you mentioned, the corp, you mentioned um, the fact that it's local. Yeah. Yeah. So we are hundred percent locally made in Toronto.
1: Um, all of our factories, if you can call them that some of them are very, very small are located within 50 kilometers of our office. Um, we also knit about uh, 50% of our fabric locally as well, um, and dye it locally at one of the last um, dye houses left in our province. Um, and then the remainder we bring in, but it's always certified, Orcotech um, certified to be free of harmful chemicals and we only buy like lensing certified fibers so that we know we can trace back the sustainability of um, the original raw materials. Um, We also do a lot of like upcycling. So we do collect all of our production cuttings and turn them into either. We have like DIY kits where people can sew, you know, their own um, scrunchies. And we also sell pre-made scrunchies and we used to do headbands and stuff like that. And that's all out of production cuttings. Uh, We even have a shawl that's made out of like production cuttings completely upcycled. So we try to be as circular as possible, Um, and then we also run like a Facebook group where people buy, sell, and trade, um, encircled stuff because, you know, if they've had a change of lifestyle or maybe they, you know, are working in a corporate job and they can't wear sweatpants to work or something like that, then they can resell them in there. So we try to encourage that kind of stuff to happen in our business as well. Um, but yeah, those are the main kind of elements really designed to like reduce carbon footprint. Um, and then the last one would be just how we design our products. So, Most of our designs are really with the intent of uh, transformation, whether it's, you know, like I talked about in the beginning, that Chrysalis Cardi that you can turn into eight different outfits, but, you know, even our dressy sweatpants, which are one of our best sellers, those have been around for almost six, seven years. And you can literally, these are sweatpants you could wear out to dinner. Like they're, they're gorgeous, um, but they feel like pajamas. So. Um, we really play a lot with that utilitarian focus on clothing so that people, you know, if they are investing in these pieces that are more expensive because they are more sustainable and they're made, you know, with the responsibly paid labor and all that kind of stuff, that they get a lot of value out of them
2: as well. All those things that you mentioned, that are all um, wonderful at uh, the objectives and, and, and it's living up to the certain values and, and the vision that you have for the company. Um, but I'm sure it's not always easy. Do you want to mention a couple of challenges that you face in trying to um, keep that mission going? Sure. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Where do I begin? I do. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I I mean, I think there's been challenges just generally, like I'll talk about pre-pandemic for sure. Um, You know, there's still a consumer mindset shift that needs to happen. Um, You know, most of the fashion created and sold in the world is probably definable as fast fashion. Yeah. Um, designed to fall apart and made from really poorly made fabrics likely by exploited labor. Yeah. Um, and there's a mindset around that, the kind of circles, you know, I think that is that we always need to have the latest and greatest trends, um, you know, and that pushing consumption kind of thing. Um, whereas like, we really need to look at ourselves and say like, is it make more sense? Cause oftentimes we'll get critiques on our pricing and our pricing is actually pretty competitive. Um, you know, so that's, that's a challenge for us because even with our pricing as is like our margins are very, very slim, you know, um, and the input costs across the board have gone up in the pandemic and continue to go up as wages increase in our, our home province and stuff like that, which is great. Um, But the consumer mindset needs to shift with that as well, because the cost of clothing over the last 20 years in Canada has actually gone down. And the only, it's one of the only price inflation index items that has gone down and it's because all the (laughs) labor has been offshore and it's not automated. It's These are people's lives and people who are not being paid properly to sew some of these clothing. So, you know, that idea of, would you rather have a $60 t-shirt? That seems absurd to some people, but people would rather have six, $10 t-shirts. Right, but like, right. do we really need that? You know, that question is something that's, more of a psychographic kind of change, meta change that needs to happen, and it's hard for a brand to push that. Um, but we keep trying for sure. Um, and I would say, in, in during the pandemic, you know, we've had some ups and downs for sure. But our supply chain, much like many brands, is is really suffering. I think from the pandemic, just from you know not having as many workers to work in the factories, so slowing down production. We used to produce products very quickly here. Um, And just, you know, for safety reasons, you can't have as many people in the factory and all that Mm. kind of stuff. Um, And also they were having trouble hiring people, which is a big problem throughout the supply chain industry, just generally. Um, So that kind of stuff is happening, I think. Um, And then I would say the third problem is just dealing with greenwashing. Because again, you know, when you're up against brands who have a message that's similar, but you know that that's not true. Right. There's not much you can do as a brand, but sit back and watch and hope that people understand, understand that that understand message that. isn't
2: accurate. Well, that's one of the reasons I reached out to you, because I know there's a lot of folks who are doing, you know, there's um, in the retail business, they call well, sustainability. Like I said to you, that, that keyword is everywhere, that word is mm-hmm. and, But I looked specifically a lot deeper, looked at your website and looked at different things you were doing. And it was obvious to me that you were actually making those efforts. In a, in a real way, um, in an authentic way that um, is actually more unusual than people think <laughs> because mm-hmm. people who mm-hmm. don't look deeper. And they, like we said, yeah. there are plenty and a growing number of consumers who are looking deeper and good for them. Um, and that's great. And we hope that that continues, but there are plenty of folks who just see the word sustainable um, and stop there. So, yeah. which brings me of course, to the last question because uh, lessons learned. I mean, you know, with all that being said, with the the challenge that you do face and continue to face, if there's anything you can think about that maybe other people who are trying to do similar work, want to start, um, be certified B Corp perhaps, or, or whatever, you know, and do, do things in that way. What can they learn?
1: Yeah, that is, that's such a good question. Um, I would say like number one, If you're going to start a fashion brand or any sort of sustainable business, you know, you need to know your costs. Um, Financials is so, so important in a business like this. I actually, like clothing, I think is one of the most challenging categories probably to pick to do this um, because the cost base and just managing inventory and all that kind of stuff is really integral to running a a functioning business. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I think knowing your costs is really important. I do think pricing your product is really important, pricing it properly. And that can be very scary, I think. And I I would say we're not, we're not there yet where we're like leading the industry in this, because, um, you know, there's definitely a fear that if you price your product too high, isn't anybody going to buy it? But then also like you want (laughs) to have a sustainable business, not just in like an environmental way, but one that where you can hire and grow and not have to be constantly worried about money. Um, so making sure that you're doing that calculation and not being afraid to charge your worth, I think mm-hmm. is really important. Um, you know, you don't have to be a martyr when it comes to a sustainable business. And that's like a lesson I think I've learned. Um, the hard way for not charging the proper prices from the beginning. And then, you know, realizing, oh my gosh, I can't pay myself because
2: I think we don't make that. any profit. Exactly. We don't make right? any profit. I think you can repeat that lesson because a lot of people make that same mistake. Um, mm-hmm.
0: And we mm-hmm. write
2: about that a lot so in the long run. You want to also run a business that is profitable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it really depends on your business model and what you're going to do. And so I think having a vision for your business up front is really important as well because like yeah. again with this specific category like if you want to go wholesale and you want to sell to like the Streams of the world or something like that that's a very different business model if you're just going to have a website you know and just ship locally um you know and then everything underneath that has to kind of line up with that a little mm-hmm. bit um, so like really having a clear point of view, like, is this a $50 million business or is this a $5 million business? Because there's lots of ways to build a business and not every way is right for every founder, um, I think as well. And there's a lot of pressure on founders um, just generally, I think, not even just within the sustainable space to always grow at all costs. Mm-hmm. And that is really stressful. So I think having an acknowledgement that like, maybe if you're just going to build a $3 million business or $10 million business, and that's okay. But just being really clear about that and what that looks like for you, um, and your lifestyle and your, your team and all that kind of stuff. I think, I think that clarity up front
2: is really important as well. I think that's great. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. All that, uh, Insight will be incredibly valuable, I'm sure, for many, many people who are looking to launch their own uh, social purpose business, uh, social ventures. Um, and you've given them a lot of food for thought. So thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.